0: be seated in the house of God. What a precious worship song. Who wrote that worship song? That was Adam's? Let's give it up for Adam writing that awesome worship song. Amen. <laughs> Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. How many are excited to be reading the Bible today? Are you excited? Come on. Are you excited to read this book? Amen. Now I know why Lauren was saying y'all had to get up. She was, she was hollering a little bit at you, wasn't she? Did you hear her? She was like, get up. You guys need to wake up this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. Leave those uh, titles up there. I want to show you what we're going to go through today. By God's grace, we're going to go and talk about the figs. We're going to talk about authority. We're going to talk about sons and talents. All of this is found in the remaining part of chapter 21, and we owe it to ourselves to go through each one. To understand them. So now let's go to verse 18. We're going to start with Jesus cursing a fig tree. Did you know that Jesus cursed, y'all? Did you know that? He cursed. Literally, Jesus cursed. He didn't say the words that uh, you might say if you stub your toe or somebody cuts you off in traffic, but he did curse. He had the power to condemn something. That's literally what cursing means, to condemn it, to judge it, to say that is going to hell. That is bad. Jesus did that. Jesus cursed, literally cursed. Do you see it there in the title? Jesus loves the fig tree. Is that what it says? It says Jesus gave the fig tree a hug like some of those people who, you know, I care about the environment too, you know, but I don't like, I don't like talk to trees and plants, okay? Are you listening to me? I mean, he cursed it. Does it say he loved it? What did he do to that, that fig tree? He did what? Cursed it. We're going to learn about why. Let's go there. Come on, y'all don't want to get cursed out by Jesus, do you? Y'all scared now. You're like, are you going to curse this out, Pastor? First of all, I'm not Jesus, but I can tell you what Jesus said. And if it applies to you, then you need to take it serious. Let's look at it. Verse 18. Early in the morning, somebody say, early in the morning. Amen. Jesus got up early in the morning. As Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry seeing a fig tree by the road he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves then he said to it may you never bear fruit again immediately the tree withered he said you're done I don't like you tree I came here for a snack you don't have a snack for me you're done it's over you're finished come on man Jesus has power to shut it down doesn't he If he said, y'all start growing, he has a, a word to do. If he has the power in his word to say, trees start growing and all of that, he has the power to say, you're done growing, right? Okay, so God's got the authority to do that. Now, when the disciples saw this, they freaked out. They were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this big mountain over here, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Somebody say, if I believe, I I will receive. Say it again. If I believe, I believe. I I will receive. That comes from God right there, Jesus speaking, the Son of God teaches us some principles here. Now, let's understand what's happening. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's already upset the folks when he went into the temple courts and whipped the money changers and turned over the tables. We learned about that last week. Now he's coming back into the city and as he's coming in, he sees a fig tree. Mark tells us that it wasn't quite yet Time for figs. I always like to harmonize the Bible, okay? So that you don't think it's contradicting itself. If you meet people that think the Bible's contradicting itself, you've got to teach them because Mark adds a detail that Matthew doesn't, and that is it wasn't time for figs. So then people want to say, well, why doesn't Matthew include that part of Mark? And then why does Jesus curse a fig tree when it says in Mark it's not even time for the figs? Y'all better read your Bible to understand your Bible. Are you listening? so what we have to understand is what Jesus is doing here in the natural with this fig tree and then secondly how it applies to the big picture somebody say big picture Okay, so let's start with the big picture, and then I'll get to the agricultural thing. The big picture is found in Jeremiah 24. The fig tree represents the nation of Israel, that nation that God had chosen to reveal himself to, the nation he gave the Ten Commandments to. Let's do a quiz, okay? Uh, What nation was Moses a part of? Israel. What nation was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a part of? Israel. What nation were all the prophets a part of? Israel. Okay, that's his chosen nation. But by the time we get to the end of the old covenant, the end of the books to the Jewish people, the Jewish prophets are letting the Israelites have it. God is not happy. Let's go there. Jeremiah 24. Let's see originally where the idea of figs and Israel come about. Why is Jesus picking a fig tree? Why isn't he picking on a grapevine? Why isn't he picking on a strawberry plant? Why isn't he messing with the zucchini, right? Why is he messing with the figs? What did this poor fig tree do to deserve this? Let's go. Do you see right there the title? Two baskets of figs. Okay, now we're gonna learn about some kings right here, okay? After Jehoiachin son of Jehoiakim, that's a fun thing to say right there, Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim, king of Judah and the officials, the skilled workers and the artisans or artists of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me, the prophet Jeremiah, he showed Jeremiah two baskets of figs, two baskets of what? figs, thank you, placed in front of the temple of the Lord. Where is Jesus headed towards? He's headed towards the temple. Where did Jeremiah see? Two baskets of figs in front of the temple. What's Jesus doing messing with the fig tree? The fig tree represents Israel. God likes figs, and he uses it as an example. Look at verse three. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. What did he see? Figs. You guys are getting it. I answer, the good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of who? Israel. The God of Egypt? No. The God of Babylon? No. He's the God of all the universe, but who is he specifically relating to here? The God of Israel. Where is Jesus right now? In Israel, in our story. Keep going. The God of Israel says... Like these good figs I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of Babylon, to the land of the Babylonians. Very simple. Jerusalem had been sacked and invaded by the Babylonians because God was no longer protecting them. They were in sin. Now they were being sent off into exile. How do you think uh, Daniel ever got thrown into a lion's den? Why was he getting picked on? Daniel was kidnapped from his country, from Israel, brought over to Babylon with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In that pagan nation, they're getting persecuted. That's why they get thrown into a lion's den. From this point on, in the story of Jeremiah, Israel will never be a free nation again through the entire history of the Bible. Even up until the time of Jesus, there's still another nation over them. The nation of Rome is over them in the time of Jesus. The nation of Israel never got back their land, became free until 1948. That's an amazing testimony to God's uh, faithfulness here. But just follow the story from Jeremiah to Jesus. They've done bad things. They're going to be captivity. But God says, I still have good figs. Somebody say good figs. Okay. Now look at it. He says in verse six, my eyes will watch over them for their good. So even though they're going to be persecuted and there's going to be a lot of bad things happening in their life, my eyes are going to watch over them and I'm going to bring them back to this land. So eventually they're going to come back. That's why Jesus is and his people are back in Jerusalem. Babylon is not Jerusalem. Eventually they do go back, okay? He says, I will build them up, not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their hearts." Some may say, all their heart. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 8. But like the bad figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so I will deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and their survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent. He's going to curse them. I'm going to make them hated and in an a to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule. Ha ha ha. People are going to laugh at them and make fun of them wherever I banish them. That's what God's going to do to them. How many know when somebody says only God can judge me? That should scare the hell out of you. How many know when God judges you, it's real? Just go through those things and see how he judges these people. He says he's going to make them hated. He's going to make them an offense. He's going to make them a reproach. He's going to make them a byword. He's going to make them a curse. He's going to make them laughed at. He's going to banish them. What else is he going to do? I'm going to send the sword, famine, plague against them until they are what? Destroyed, say it like you're up this morning. That till they are what? Destroyed from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. Here, as we go back to the notes in Matthew, we understand that figs represent Israel. Bad figs, good figs. What's Jesus doing as he's walking into town? He's looking for figs. Figs are supposed to be there even though they're not supposed to be ripe, it's still supposed to be growing. They're supposed to have their buds. They're supposed to be coming out. And now what he sees is there's no figs. There's not bad figs, there's not good figs. There's literally no figs. We're in a worse position than in the time of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's time, they were bad figs. But now there's no figs. How many understand that no figs is better, a worse than bad figs. OK? There's just none. And now he's upset. And the idea here, the picture here that he's pointing is Israel has lost their covenant right. The kingdom is gonna be taken from them. And this is actually gonna work for our good as Gentiles because their mess up means we get in. Because they were spoiled and they didn't use the opportunities that they had, there is now going to be a new kingdom coming. And it's not going to be based just on Israel. It's going to be based on all the people of the earth. Now, let me just explain to you quickly, agriculturally. Those times when the leaves were coming out, when Jesus was there, those buds were supposed to be there to show that the tree was then going to grow healthy figs throughout its season. Jesus is not wrongly picking on this tree and making a mistake. How many know the authors of the Bible would have caught that? Like Jesus walks up to something that is not supposed to have any fruit on it, but he gets mad there's no fruit on it. Let's preach that around the world. That sounds fun. How many think you would do that if you were an agricultural people? You know, I went downtown and I looked for corn. There was none, so I cursed all of downtown. That's a fun message to preach everywhere. It makes no sense. How many know they probably, the ones, I mean, let's just give them a benefit of a doubt before we try to like be snooty and pick out problems in the Bible. Let's just probably say that 2,000 years ago, the agricultural people understood something we didn't if we think there's a contradiction there because they're obviously telling the story and people are like, I get why he cursed it. It didn't have the figs. If it didn't have it then, it wasn't going to have it by the time of harvest. And so this is symbolic that now they don't need any more chances. It's over. And this is a scary part for us, and you guys got to get this. All of us here today will have a day that is our last day. All of us here today, listen to me, young people. All of you here will have your last chance to serve God. There will come a time when God will look at you and say, now it's over. And if you don't have faith in him, if you have not been serving him, you're going to hell. You are now cursed. He did it to his own nation, he symbolized it in this tree. If you don't have the seed of faith, if you do not have the budding fruit of faith in your life, it is going to come there's going to come a time where he says, "Now it's over. Here is judgment. You're done." Somebody say, "You're done." Yeah. I'm telling you, you're done. You're just over. And this idea of us getting another chance and another chance and another chance. Chances don't go on forever, people. What he is now saying to the, Jerusalem, uh, to the people in Jerusalem is he is saying, I have given you chance after chance after chance. I've tried to help the bad ones. I've taken care of the good ones. Now you don't have any fruit. As an entire people group, as an entire, speaking for the whole, not saying the little people here and there that were living for him, but as a whole, you have rejected me. You don't have anything more good. I am now cursing you. You are going to be destroyed. And in 70 AD, their temple was destroyed. We'll get into the end time discussion because as they were destroyed in 70 AD is a type and shadow of how the earth is destroyed coming soon to a neighborhood near you. Are you listening to me? Because every way he's dealt with Israel, he's going to deal with us too. Don't think that you and I just get soft, nice Jesus and they had mean Jesus. No, soft and nice Jesus and mean Jesus is one Jesus, and he's righteous. Let's not use the word mean. He's righteous. He's holy. He does what pleases him, and if you're not on that train, you're getting ran over by that train. He's looking at Israel, and he's saying, you have no fruit. I curse you. Boom. You're done. And what are they going to do to him? They're going to crucify him. And then what's going to happen? He's going to judge their entire city, destroy it. Now, when we want to see the big picture of Israel, we go back into the New Testament, and we see in Romans 11, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Paul says, hey, hey, Everybody get this. Gentiles, you think you're really cool because now you're a part of a new covenant. It's not just with Israel. God so loved the whole world. He's doing this in every nation, tribe, and language. Hold on. Don't get so prideful and think you're better than the Jewish people because even though the covenant is new and it's not just for them now and they blew their chance, they still have promises yet to be fulfilled because God's going to keep his word way back to Abraham. And so we're going to see Jewish people come to Christ all throughout our life and even more so as the times get closer to the end. The Bible says there will actually be 12,000 saved out of each one of their tribes for a total 144,000. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses try to make this to be the only ones who go to heaven are a certain 144,000. They make it all spiritual and weird. No, it's literal. 12,000 out of each tribe of Israel in the end times will come to Christ and be in time evangelists before the battle of Armageddon. Those are part of the prophecy. So as surely as they got returned to their nation as a promise that God gave in Jeremiah, 24, even though all these bad things would happen, they would eventually come back. That happened in 1948 and started the clock. Because when we get to Matthew chapter 24 and he starts the end time discussion, he's going to say, learn the lesson from the fig tree. It comes back up. Are you listening? It's going to come back up. So they are, listen, Israel is our countdown clock to Armageddon. That, that, that is the way we can judge what's going on and how close we're getting. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. And then lastly, Jesus says, you guys ask me, how can I curse a fig tree? Just like the miracle. How can that happen? He says, if you believe, you can cast mountains into the sea. And why is that? Because what is a mountain to our God? Who created the mountains? God. So he can do with them whatever he wants. So he picks the biggest thing possible in the natural world, and he says, if you don't like that, you can move that like furniture. Because I put that in place and my word controls this. And if I spoke it and then you speak what I speak, you can have the same power my words have. So the same power that Jesus had in his words, we can have in our words. And so literally, we're supposed to look at nothing is impossible. We're not supposed to take a literal and go try to move mountains and say, Mount Everest, you go over here in my backyard. We're supposed to look at that and go, there's nothing impossible with our God. So any situation we face, we can speak to it in Jesus' name, believing that we will receive. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. So there we learned about the fig tree. Let's keep going now. Verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts. Now, last time he was there, he turned over the money tables. He made a mess. He he set it straight, or you could basically say he cleaned it up. He turned it right side up instead of turning it upside down. So now he comes back, and the, the chief priests are going to be a little bit more like You know, chill with him. And let's see the question they ask. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask? And who gave you this authority? How many know that's a good question? How many know that's a good question? It's a good question to ask Jesus. How did you get all this authority to tell us we're wrong and that we're cursed and that, you know, we're going to hell and there's a lot of bad things coming our way? How did you get that authority? That's a great question. That's a wonderful question. How many know that question was answered a long time ago, and they weren't paying attention? Where did we learn the authority of Jesus? Where was the first place in Jesus' life we understood he was divine, he had authority, he was our maker and creator, equal with the Father? Where's the first place? Shout it out, please. Transfiguration is way later in the story, but that's one of the places. Baptism, yes. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Transfiguration confirms what we learned at the baptism. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is getting baptized, and what does it say? Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. That's John the Baptist recalling this. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Show me that happening to any prophet in the Bible. Show me that happening any time. Tell me where he does that with Moses. Tell me where he does that with Ezekiel. This is a unique authority that Jesus Christ has. Now let's go back to Matthew and see, uh, let's see sassy Jesus. Somebody say sassy Jesus. How many are sassy in life and love it when you see Jesus being sassy because you can relate? How many, let's be honest, you're a little sensitive to sass, and it kind of makes you feel weird when Jesus is sassy, okay? Nobody's raising their hands today. This is the problem that I'm facing right now. I don't know any answer to these questions. we will going to try it again. How many of you are a little sassy in life, and when Jesus is sassy, you're like, that's my Jesus? Okay, one, two, three, four, Okay. Okay, how many of you, thank you, about 10 of you, how many of you are a little sensitive to sass? You, you get maybe a little annoyed, maybe a little easily offended by people being sass, and you look at Jesus, and sometimes that makes you feel weird that Jesus was sassy. Be honest, you're a little shy. Maybe one, no, no, nobody? Everybody likes sass? Well, then why don't you raise your hand? Maybe because you're not sassy, but you like sass, so I need a third option here. I mean, okay, third option. Let's go to the third option. How many of you are not sassy, but you still like sass? That should be everybody, unless you're not paying attention. Okay. Watch what Jesus does. They ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. Now, generally, you're not supposed to answer a question with a question. That's dodging, right? But Jesus has been answering their questions so many times He's done with these boys. He's ready to start being sassy with them. He says, I'm going to ask you a question. You're asking me where I got my authority from. Let me ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did that come from? That's a great question, right? Because they're asking him, where did your authority come from? And he's like, Let's just talk about John for a minute. John's baptism. Where did he get that from? Was it from heaven or human origin? Right here, I could be talking about logic all day long. Jesus brought up the law of non contradiction A cannot be non-A at the same time. Jesus understood sense and logic. Jesus is giving them the excluded middle. That's another law of logic. You cannot both be something and not something at the same time. Something cannot be true and false at the same time. And that's where you get to the third law of logic, the law of identity. A thing is what it is, and that's true or false. The law of non-contradiction says it like this. Let's put it into the, the topic of John's baptism. John's baptism... Is what it is, law of identity. It cannot be something else at the same time while it's being something that it is. Does everybody get that? It is what it is. That's the law of identity. Number two, whatever it is, it can't be the opposite or different from what it is because that would contradict what it is. That's the law of non-contradiction. And then lastly, whatever it is, is true or false about what our descriptions are because it can't be both true and false. Don't you love your Jesus? He's outwitting them. He's smarter than them, and he's playing with his God hands behind his back. He's playing fairly. He's not as God doing these things. He's doing it as man. Though he didn't stop being God, he just set aside the privileges as God. It would be like as if I'm wrestling my children. I don't start body slamming them and throwing them across the room. I dial down my strength to that of a child. I try to equal where they're at. He has come come as a man. And so as a man, he's showing us the intelligence that we can have in logic, those three main principles. Now... They want to discuss it amongst themselves and they say, if we say from heaven, he will ask, well, then why didn't you believe John? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of all these people because they hold that John was a prophet. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I guess you don't want to have real talk. You want to have small and meaningless talk. I want to have big talk. And big talk means you got to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants. And since you're not wanting to do that, I don't got time for that. Isn't that something how Jesus has got sassy with them? So if you're ever in a conversation with me and I ask you a question like that, Don't think that I'm being rude to you, okay, because Jesus used this technique. So if somebody was to come up to me and be like, Pastor, why don't you just come out to my house and hang out at every barbecue? Why aren't you my best friend and all that? And then I'll ask you a question, and I'll say, why aren't you at church every single week being Jesus' best friend? You know what I'm saying? Come on. You you want me at your barbecue, but you ain't coming to the Bible study. You're not coming to the discipleship. Some of you aren't faithful to all those things, but you want me at the birthday party and all those things. Thank you for the invitations, but my priority here is not birthday parties. And by the way, you're not obligated to come to my six children's birthday parties. If you just tried to keep up with my family and their birthday parties, you would lose all your money buying birthday gifts for them. You'd be busy six months out the year. Come on. So you see, you got to be sassy sometimes. Jesus was sassy. But let's think about it. Let's think about it. Where did John get his authority from? Where did he get it from? He got it from heaven. It wasn't of human origin. We go back to the book of Matthew early on. It says that John had a significant miracle to be born. His father Zechariah was an old man his, his wife was old uh, you know they weren't able to bear children and God sent an angel to say you're going to have a child and he's going to be a great prophet and and the mother Elizabeth is actually the cousin of Mary and when Elizabeth pregnant with John comes to meet Mary who's pregnant with Jesus John leaps in the womb I mean this is an a this is an amazing miracle of how this this man came about I mean it's not... A virgin birth kind of miracle, but it's still a pretty awesome miracle. He had authority from God and God was using him. And yet, these Jewish people were so prideful that they couldn't see the obvious. Here, here's a question I want to ask you Are you so blind to what God is doing through His church, through the Bible, that you can't see the authority we've been given on this earth? Because a lot of times people ask me, Who gave you the authority to tell me this, this, and that? The Bible, Jesus, the book, the book that you're holding in your hand. And somehow people think that to have authority in the Bible and tell people what it says, you have to be glowing. There is no prerequisite that I have to glow to tell you what a sin is. Like, let me give you an example. You're here in this church. You're living with somebody you're not married to. You're in sin. And if you were to die, you're going to hell. Now, before you get upset and act like the Jews and ask me who gave me that authority, I'll just answer it for you right now. The word of God gave me that authority. The word of God gave me the authority to tell you what it says. It doesn't mean I have to glow. It doesn't mean I have to be a heavenly being. It doesn't mean I have to be God. If God was the only one that could speak his word, then why does he tell us to go tell everybody about his word? If angels and perfect spirit beings in that sense were the only ones who could tell you when you're right or wrong, then why are we supposed to keep each other accountable? Hello, somebody. You see, do you recognize authority? See, they, they couldn't even see John's authority. John had the word of God plus a miraculous birth, and they still couldn't see it. For us, we have the word of God. That should be it. This should be your discussion with anybody that says a judgment to you, that tells you right or wrong. This, is, this should be your discussion with them. Put it on the word. If you could show me in the word, I'll believe you. You shouldn't get upset with somebody just because they say something you don't like or because your mama didn't teach you that. Your mama didn't know everything. Can I help all you mama boys and girls out here? My mama didn't tell me that. She was a Christian. Your mama doesn't know everything. Did your mama tell you everything about physics? Did your mama tell you everything about nuclear science? Did your mama tell you everything about neuroscience? Come on, somebody. Just because your mama loved you and cleaned your snotty nose and told you every now and then about being nice to your neighbor doesn't mean your mama knows the whole Bible. Come on. My daddy didn't tell me that. Yeah, just because your daddy knew how to change a tire doesn't mean he knows his way to heaven, folks. You better say put it on the word. That's what you better say. We we all better get to the point where we recognize authority. The Jews could not recognize authority because they didn't like what John had to say. And John was putting it on the word. John was doing exactly what the, the father told him to do. And they still didn't believe it. And here's my question to us today. Do we believe this Bible? Because if we don't, we're going to be in the same exact position these people We're in, like lifting up our nose, thinking we're better. Well, that's a storefront church. I go to a cathedral, and the Father Father Tom at the cathedral, he doesn't tell me what your pastor tells you. Well, let me say this. Get Father Tom right up here on a Sunday, and I'll tell you how he, how he works with my information. Get him to debate right up here. We'll bust Father Tom's information down in front of you. I wish I could one-on-one ball in theology just to show you that these guys can't ball. Are you listening? They don't even know how to dribble the ball. They're sitting on the sideline with their socks up to their knees, their shirt tucked in. They don't know how to ball. they nerds. they weak in the spiritual realm. Go get Father Tom. Oh, my cathedral. My, I had one guy tell me, Greek Orthodox. Oh, my, 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 uh, my priest would never be here on the streets preaching like you. Your priest is backslidden then. What's wrong with your priest? Oh, he kissed his cross. I don't care about your cross. Get the word out. Put it on this right here. Stop, stop mumbling. Say something. Put it on the Everybody's got to come back to this. So we're not afraid of this. This right here is what we build our life on. Jesus said, you hear this, you obey this, you're right with him. So don't put it on your priest. Don't even put it on me. Well, this is the thing too because Protestants do it all the time. I get so sick of it. Oh, I go to Bishop so-and-so's church. Bishop is so awesome. When did Bishop become your pimp? When did Bishop get a feather in the cap and backhand you all the time and get you to jump when he said jump? Man, you better not just do it for a bishop. You better say, Bishop, put it on this. You better not just say, oh, my pastor's smart. Pastor Joe's smart. He comes up there and presses my pastor's so wild. Don't you brag about me like that. You better talk about the word when you talk about this church. Forget, forget who I am. Put it on the word. Sometimes I wish I could just have a big Bible up here, and I just hide behind it and have a little puppet thing going with the mouth moving. So you all just forget about me trying to entertain you up here. Just have the Bible and the little voice up here. Come on, somebody. It's not about me. It's not about your pastor. It's not about your bishop. A lot of people you love are wrong. A lot of people you respect are wrong. These people didn't even recognize the authority of John. And I'm living in a church age where people don't even recognize the authority of the scriptures when preachers are preaching it. We have one sister here. She put up a scripture verse. Literally, just put up a scripture verse. And another Christian, I know she's a Christian because she's come to this church. She wrote underneath it, I disagree with that. I'm like, how do you disagree with that? I disagree with you being a Christian. How about that? I mean, how do you disagree with the Bible? She just put underneath. I disagree with that. I thought to myself, Forrest Gump is the smartest person right now. Stupid is as stupid does. Get Forrest Gump up here to talk to this woman. We can't just look at authority and go, I disagree with it. Try that with the police officer. I just disagree with your authority, police officer. I just disagree. Let's do that with the military. Come stand in front of our tanks. (laughs) Come on, man. I disagree with your authority. Man, you get run over by a tank. The the idea here is there's real authority. And, And we're trying, as Christians, if you're not a Christian, we're trying to help you. I don't have the authority in myself. Everybody go to Matthew 28. Come on, let's talk about where it came from. How many know the end of the story? I, I'm, man, I'm halfway through this. I got two more to go. Let's see what happens. Help me, Holy Ghost. I tried, right? Some of y'all are like, Pastor, you are really putting your faith out there today to talk about four things. Some of you, some of you laughing, you know. I thought I could do it. I feel like that guy who says he's going to run that six-minute mile, Lewis. You know, he hasn't jogged for a while. He puts on his headband, gets on his hoodie. Where's Ricky? That is so Ricky. You're going to get that six-minute mile Monday? About two minutes in? Oh, It looks more like an 8, 10-minute mile. I always feel like that. I'm going to do four. I'm going to get four of these points done today. I'm like halfway through, sweat dripping down right now. Then Jesus came to them. This is after the resurrection and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go to church and just hang out all the time. No, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples. I'm supposed to make you a disciple. You can't make yourself a disciple. Does a cake bake itself? And does it say an angel's gonna make you a disciple? So, who's gonna make you a disciple? Another disciple. I disagree with that. Well, you disagree with the Bible then. Come on, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Am I supposed to skip commands? Are you supposed to skip commands? Is there any difference between you and I when it comes to being a disciple of Christ? No, I'm a disciple just like you, man. God has given me his word, taught me his word through wonderful people throughout my life, male and female, young and old, from all different cultures. Man, I got heroes in Asia and and Latin America and Africa and African American. I mean, it doesn't matter if male or female. One of my favorite preachers in the whole world, Joanne Miller from Ghana, South America, uh, Guiana, rather. I just love her. I mean, it doesn't matter. If you got the word, you got the authority. Now you teach it to others with that authority, and then you leave it up to them. And then how many know he's going to be with us at the very end of the age? That's how the story ends. Let's go back to this quickly. They didn't recognize the authority. Jesus, come on, just pray this in your own. I'm going to pray for myself. Lord, help me to recognize your authority on this earth. Help me to hear it from your word. Help me to hear it from others. Oh, dear God, if I am ever outside of your will, send somebody to help me. Let me never be beyond hearing your word. In the name of Jesus let's keep going. He says, where did it come from? And they go, well, we don't know. And he says, man, I'm not going to tell you. Now look at verse 28. We'll end on this one. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. And I'm one of those men. I have two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. How many husbands can say amen to that? At first, you were like, honey, I ain't going to do that. And then she stomped around a little bit, shook up some stuff in the kitchen, and then you just tucked your tail and you went to the hardware store. You went and did your thing. I'm telling you, I know you don't think it happens in a preacher's home, but it does, Brian, it does. Every now and then, I'm like, I'm not going to the grocery store, man. It's too late, man. We're okay. The child don't need milk, man. Just figure something out. Put some sugar in water or something. That child will be fine, man. We're okay. About a half hour later, it's cold as ice in my, my house. My wife hasn't said a word to me. Everything is louder. Everything is more intense. Every closet shutting. All right, I'm going. And then the list from milk turns to about this long of all these other things. Oh, so now you're going. Okay, let me give you all these things. You know how it is. Let's just keep it real. Let's keep it real. So he says, I'm not going to do it. And then he changes his mind. Now, watch. The father went to the other son and said the same thing. He said, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, get this, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Uh, Adam and the band, would you come up in closing, please? Powerful parable right here, powerful, don't miss it father has two sons. He says to the one, go out and work, man. You got to work. He says, I don't want to do that, dad. It's too hot. My friends are doing X, Y, and Z. I don't want to do it. Then he feels convicted and he goes out. The other one says, I'll do it and I'll go. Of course, dad, I'm going. But he never goes. Which one really did it? Which one is the good one? the one who actually went, even though he should have been obedient at the beginning, but which one is better? The better one is the one that actually goes. How does this apply to the Jews? The Jews had been saying, we're your people, we're your people, and every chance they get, they blow it. Every chance they get, they blow it, and they don't do it. They do a lot of talking, but not a lot of walking. you live your Christian life like that? Let's be real. Oh, oh, pastor, I I keep God's commands. I keep God's commands. Do you really, Monday through Saturday? Or is that just something you shout about on Sunday? You see, there's some of you here today going, man, I'm not really good at this. I struggle at this. This is hard for me. But you're going to go out this week and actually put in that work because you truly desire to do it, even though right now you might be saying, I'm not ready. But you may change your mind and be obedient. I look at my own testimony I was never a fake Christian. That's one thing you could put the check next to my name. You could say, Joe was not a fake anything. But when I came to Christ, it was night and day. I had been saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But then, boom, God changed me. And then there I am out there working. And so right now, it's not just what you say. The Jewish people kept saying, we're going to do this. We're going to fix this. We're going to repent. We're going to get our lives right. And Jesus is waiting for them to actually do it. And they never do. And then yet these struggling people, like tax collectors would be like oppressors, corrupted, greedy people, and prostitutes would represent just wild living. And Jesus is saying, The ones that you guys have been judging, the ones that you think you're better than, they're actually getting in. And how do I tie this in with the fig tree? Because the Bible literally says the kingdom's gonna be taken from them and given to others. I see this other son as the Gentiles. The Gentiles were like, we don't want the God of Israel. We want the God of Egypt because the God of Egypt lets us live crazy wild lives. We don't want the God of Israel. We want the God of Babylon. We want the gods of Rome. We want Bacchus. We want Zeus. We want all of this sinful living. But eventually what started happening with the Gentiles as the gospel went out, Gentiles started to repent. Pagans started to come to Jesus. And what Jesus is telling us here is, the whole world has been split into two families, Jewish and Gentile. And the Jewish ones, like this fig tree, have had their time to get good and bad fruit to make it right. But now they're to the point where he says, I am done having a singular covenant with them. I am now opening this up to the other nations. And the other son who said, I never wanted to come, Egyptians, it's time to come home. Babylon, it's time to come. Rome, it's time to come. Until the place where we see where we just read right at the end, he says, go to all the nations and get all those people groups who said they didn't want to come to come home because if you think about it how did all those nations become pagan if we all came from adam and eve and then through noah's family we all came from the same family you all get that and then like i said it got split off and so these were the ones who said no i would rather worship my ancestors i would rather worship a make-believe god called ganesh you know and jesus is saying get ready because they're about ready to start coming in so let me ask you are you living a hypocritical life Because people you think are worse than you will pass you up. If they really want this, they will pass us all up if we don't choose to keep obeying. It's good to say, I want to serve God. That's great. We should all say it. It's the best thing to say. But then you also have to live it. You have to now walk out of here with a smile on your face. Come on. Like you actually love Jesus. You should let people know what God did in your heart. You should show them a transformed life. If all you can say is, I've been saved, but you can't show them what you've been saved from, then there's not really a testimony. Your boss should be able to see you've been saved from an attitude. Your friends should be able to see you're saved from gossip. Come on, the internet should miss you now from the places you used to visit, right? That bar now is gonna lose your tab. Come on, somebody. You're going to be different now because you're repenting and believing and let's tie it in. And that for that person, for you, if you're here today, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible in your Christian walk to live this out because those are the mountains that need to move out of every one of our lives. It's the mountains of our sin, the mountains of unbelief, the mountains of discouragement, the mountains of our problems. Jesus said, what is a mountain compared to my power? Let's pray before we roll out. If you're altar workers, would you come, please? Would everyone stand up with us? Father, we thank you today for this awesome message. We pray that we will learn from the fig tree that we should start bearing fruit because your judgment is coming. And if you cursed Israel, you'll curse us if we don't start bearing that fruit. Lord, I pray today we'll recognize authority. That, Lord, will recognize you gave your church authority. You gave the preachers of the gospel authority. You gave every disciple authority through your word. And I pray today, Lord, that we won't be hypocrites, oh, Father God. That we will say what we mean. Mean what we say and live it for you, God. Live it out every day. If any of those things touched your heart, would you pray to God right now before we dismiss and say, Lord, touch and change me, rearrange me. If you haven't been bearing fruit, if you're not a Christian today, you need to ask God to make you new so you can become a fruitful vine, a fruitful fig tree. If you're here today and you haven't been recognizing authority and you're always putting down what God is doing, repent and come under discipleship. Join a life group. And if you're here today doing one thing and saying another, stop and start living for God. Even if you mess up, even if you stumble at times, it's better for you to say, I'm gonna give this my best shot by God's grace. Through Christ's strength, I can do all things. A few moments right now, Lord, teach us. Teach us from what you did with the Israeli people, the Jewish people. If you need someone to pray with you, come on up. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but you guys can start coming. We're gonna close with a song band would you lead us in one more worship song thank you lord have your way have your way jesus